0: launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3, Episode 10 of the Group Practice Accelerator Podcast. This is another installment in our growth capital solutions theme, and we are going to be diving deep today into creating equity on balance sheets many of you manage your business by a profit and loss statement which is completely natural and it's something you're inclined to do the wealth of businesses is found on the balance sheet growth capital is a major component to creating more equity and if you think we're going to be talking balance sheets lending borrowing uh, forecasting and a whole lot of other stuff you know that means i'm bringing my partner to walker sinha behind the mic get your pad and pen ready It'll be a note-taking episode and definitely brew a double espresso of that meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is off and running. Thank you, everybody, once again for joining me on the show today. This is Perrin Desports, and I am your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. Balance sheets are a ton of fun. When you really learn what to look for on them. And the most critical aspect of building a successful business is the equity and the business that you're building. Equity is not something that we're typically inclined to look at first and foremost. When we're building a, a business, we tend to look at the profitability of it. Today, we're gonna take a little bit of a different tack and we're gonna talk about. Creating equity on balance sheet, and for that, I'm bringing my partner behind the microphone, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, you want to say hello
1: to everybody? Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, this will be a this will be a fun episode, one that we've been uh, looking forward to recording for a little while now. Um, being fellow entrepreneurs, of course, and we tend to uh, look at our business the same way we give all of you guidance to look at yours out in the field. So, you know, today. We're going to talk a little bit about leverage. We're going to talk about EBITDA, of course. We're going to talk about creating equity on balance sheet. And I've recorded, I've hit on this topic a couple of different times on, on the show, uh, and we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive today. But I, I think, DeWalker, why don't we start you know, and orient the audience to, when we say, Equity on balance sheet, or creating equity on balance sheet, or improving equity on balance sheet. What exactly is that? You know, what is what do we mean by equity on balance sheet? And and maybe more importantly, why is this concept so important for our audience to know? You want to take the first cut at it?
1: Um, sure. So I think um, there's two lenses equity and balance sheet. One is. The equity you may see from a CPA compiled financial statement balance sheet position, and <clears throat> that'll look into any equity you put into the deal, look at your outstanding liabilities, and give you a net shareholder equity, that aspect of it. Um, the lens we're speaking of from, from on this uh, ongoing at Polaris is from what you would put, potentially put on a um, personal financial statement as you're you know looking at the success you've had and or your total net worth. And in that, you want to put obviously reasonable expectations, and then also kind of connect the dot with lendable uh, equity. So, so I think you, you know one of the things important is in the lending side, we've gone in and says, okay, the lendable le- equity le- leverages four times. So four times EBITDA, and you know as you're looking at your consolidated equity position or EBITDA position, and you were looking at your consolidated equity. Consolidated equity is what the business would probably bear in the market. And if you're not sure what that would bear in the market, you know, please call us. We're happy to kind of review those conversations with you, uh, but also your outstanding debt on balance sheet. So let's say, for example, you had a million five EBITDA business and it had four and a half million dollars in debt on that business. Um, it would be levered at 3X or the 3X leverage ratio. Uh, and let's say that business in the market was selling for 6X. So that would be... A valuation around nine million dollars, um, and in that case, your net equity in the business would be four and a half million dollars. So I think that's a, that's a way to look at it. But then you know when you when you drive down a little bit more, that's your equity that would be on your personal financial statement or equity you've created for all shareholders if you're in a partnership. But then the, there's equity lendable equity, and the le- lendable equity we kind of go into is four x leverage. So if you take that one and a half million dollars. Times four, you're at six million dollars. You still have three million dollar delta between the nine million minus the uh the the six million available, but your lendable equity is one point five million dollars because you already have four and a half outstanding to a bank. The bank, you know, under four X leverage, you should be able to get to six. That gives you the one and a half million dollars in equity in the business.
0: So this is a way of thinking about the value of the business that we're building while we're building it and I think it's incredibly important it's like a think of it as an internal report card and and it's it's great that you um kind of differentiate um you know the the accounting aspect of you know assets minus liabilities equals owners equity um versus uh the, the way we think about building a, an inherently more valuable business. And when we start getting into leverage ratios and the concept of arbitrage especially, this takes on a totally different dynamic. This is really a fundamental tenet or a cornerstone of private equity-backed enterprise-level DSOs and their overall growth strategy. They, Many of the operators of these businesses and, and fund managers really only earn uh, true income or, or wealth to a degree uh, upon a successful transaction and the exit of the business. And that uh, is typically the equity that's generated in that transaction after they pay back the investor capital on it. So they really understand balance sheet equity. To the penny <laughs> and they understand exactly how valuable it is many of us start out with a s- traditional solo practice and we decide to add another location or a couple and that traditional solo practice that's been so successful in the very beginning, we've treated it as an ATM. It's like a, a cash register. We pull money out of it to fund our lifestyle. And that type of an income business, a lifestyle business, there's nothing wrong with building that uh, at all. And there's nothing wrong with having you know toys that uh, a successful uh, business affords us. That being said, when you start building a larger uh, more dynamic business that values more highly, you you shift from an income mindset to a wealth mindset, or at least you should. And if you're going to make that shift, the wealth is equity on balance sheet. So you want to understand how it's calculated, uh, certainly leverage ratios, how to create more of it, um, and ultimately create the, the most valuable business you possibly can, regardless of whether you have a, a timetable that's transacted or not. So Let's let's maybe turn the corner a little bit in this concept, and let's talk about or or maybe talk through some typical mistakes that people make in terms of acquisitions or de novos. I mean, there there are plenty of mistakes to go for both. Obviously, we probably see more along the lines of of acquisitions um, because that's the majority of the the world out there is growing by acquisition. But we start talking about taking on more debt to make acquisitions. Um, there's also the aspect of having to maybe come to the table with additional equity to get the transaction done. You want to take these at a high level and maybe slice and dice a couple of them, maybe even go back to your banking days to to draw upon some prior experience in terms of what you've seen as a lender to Walker.
1: Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, kind of uh, go down some conversations around what we might be talking on our strategic consulting podcast, you know, uh, but I think if, you know, you're buying a practice uh, for this, a solo location, let's call it, and it's six or eight chairs. And, and the practice is grossing a million dollars. And, you know, it might show a EBITDA of $100,000, and your PL net income might be 50. But, you know, once you kind of go through your ad backs and things like that, you know, you let's say you get to $100,000 EBITDA. And that practice might be selling for 75% of revenue, 80% of revenue out there. And you're looking at it and saying, geez, if I execute on that transaction at 75 or 80% of revenue, let's call it 80% of revenue. And I've been listening to the you know, podcast from Polaris and the max leverage ratio is 4X. How can I get money for an 8X deal? An 8X deal, I mean, that's um, you know a, a multi-million dollar EBITDA business that uh, would be out there. Why would I pay that for a solo? Well, let's kind of move away from it to say, I want to understand that this private practice market Ah, uh, transactions are done at a percentage of revenue, um, and there's 75 to max 85 percent of revenue. Uh, but let's use 80 percent as, as a as a position. So, when you're looking at your overall position, kind of goes back to that example I said. You have a one and a half million dollar EBITDA business. You've lent four and a half million dollars onto that um, onto that deal. You're at a 3x leverage. And now, you know this transaction it presents to you, which is a hundred thousand dollar EBITDA business you know, and you are going to be deploying $800,000 in capital. Um, and let's say there's accounts receivable available that you're acquiring with it. Um, and the transaction is going to be eight hundred fifty dollars to $900,000. So now you with accounts receivable, you might be at eight and a half to nine X deal. Well, how does that still make sense? So in this case, if you had a $4.5 million exposure with $1.5 million EBITDA, you're levered at 3X on the multiple on the lendable multiple. So now you're gonna go from 4.5 million to 5.4 million. And then you only moved up about $100,000 in EBITDA. So you went from 1.5 to 1.6. So right there, that one transaction would take you from a three three multiple to a 3.4 multiple. Uh, A material improvement, right? And that's over a a 10% improvement in your overall leverage ratio. Um, and you could probably make this decision a couple more times before, as Parent, you've talked about it, the debt funding wall that people hit. So I think it's it's important for our audience members to start looking at that practice and saying, okay, I'm going to buy this practice at a seven or eight x multiple. You know, what are the operational efficiencies that bring to this opportunity, and organic growth opportunities I have to really, you know, dollar cost average things this thing down. And even if I'm deploying eight hundred fifty nine hundred thousand dollars into this deal. How, within a reasonable time, a reasonable in, in our lens is about 18 months, could be as short as 12. Can I get this business to, you know, million-dollar revenue business to million-five revenue business and have it on a run rate of two, about 200 to $250,000 in uh, EBITDA, run rate, not TTM, would not be trailing 12 months, but a run rate. So I think if you can do those things, the lenders we work with in the middle market space, they recognize those things. So they'll say, geez, you know, you're kind of going in that direction. We see the value. We see the improvement you've made. You know, uh, parent with all of our capital raise clients and consulting clients, we're actually tracking these things on a quarter by quarter basis. I talked about in our previous podcast. We are doing for a lot of institutions the compliance certificates, uh, so we're 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 looking at these things on a real time basis. Um, I think that's what our uh, audience members should be thinking about: is okay. When I acquire this, how can I bring this down to a four x leverage within eighteen months? And as long as you're doing that. You know, under this forex leverage model, you should not exceed your lendable uh, exposure, and that applies for the same thing if you're buying a bigger practice. You know, it's a two, three location. You compete competing on that opportunity with the other bigger DSOs. We want you to look at those opportunities, look at those add-ons, and say, okay, how does that improve equity? Uh, how does that impact your overall leverage ratio now? But more importantly, can you grow it? And then does that provide additional um, value creation? On a, on a macro level,
0: this is uh, this is critically important. So we're we're trying to build a business that is uh, forward-looking, and we're trying to make predictions out of our current-day activity. Um, and, and it's not easy to do but again we're hosting a conference in may about building your enterprise platform okay so like it's it, we're we're talking here about the people who may be at four or five or six locations and and what it's going to take to get to 20 locations just as an example that type of subject matter is really multifaceted there's going to be a lot of tactics at that conference but you got to also if you're going to undertake that type of a journey you darn sure wanna make sure that it's it's worth your while to do it and that it rewards you uh, in such a way that it far uh, exceeds the risk you took to get there. And so when we're talking about the, the value of the equity that we create as a multiple of EBITDA and the cost of the dollars that we borrow to get there, you hear us say very frequently, you never buy a business to maintain it you always buy a business to improve it and you have to be able to quantify those improvements going into it not coming out of it yes you have to do that coming out of it but you want to know what those are going into it and when we t- when DeWalker says you know growing the revenue from a million to a million five over you know a year's period of time or two something like that you know, what are the top two or three areas that you're going to focus on to do that? Are you going to drop in an associate to expand some days and hours? Are you going to start to recapture some of the referred treatment that you've typically been sending to a specialist, but you can keep that in-house? Um, are you going to negotiate insurance reimbursement rates to your favor? Or are you going to drive more new patients and clean up your efficiencies around scheduling? And on and on and on you've got some type of secret sauce to allow you to improve that business on the top line. And ideally, you've got some level uh, of improvement uh, in the cost structure of the business to improve it as well. And that dollar cost averaging means that when you buy a business uh, for a seemingly high multiple, wh- you know six or seven X, whatever that means, seemingly high multiple, you've got the operational chops to increase EBITDA at a faster rate than the cost of the debt funds, and by doing that, you end up delevering the business through operational improvement. and And you hear us talk about the the phrase called operating leverage often, and that is exactly what we're talking about. Now let's let's take just a quick second here, um, because obviously. We're talking a lot about equity to Walker, and we're talking about some level of operational performance. It might seem like we're all over the board in this uh, in this episode, but truthfully, we're not. We're coming around the corner once again. And that is the importance of the the lending institution that you're working with here, understanding the way they make decisions around funding, uh, uh, the commitment they've made to fund the business presently, but also the way they're evaluating the relationship with the borrower on an ongoing basis. Um, can you maybe just kind of dig into once again, for our audience, the, the critical nature of the right, uh, lending partner that we've got here and the way, um, they continue to, um, uh, keep the relationship with the borrower glued together, and everything. I think that's critically important, especially around the the aspect of of timing of drawing upon the funds and uh, really operating the business efficiently uh, moving forward. Can you kind of hit some of the highlights of that for us?
1: Yeah, I think uh, so. In any lending relationship, or you know, any relationship that you have as a, a vendor partner, there should be active dialogue. So. One of the things I would be or your lenders should be doing if they're not doing this, that means they're not uh, in in from my lens, they're not as invested in the relationship as with you. And I think it's going to be more reactive relationship than a relationship that's proactive and forward thinking about uh, both parties. And when I say both parties, I mean, from our podcast members, you know, as they're looking to borrow from a bank, they need to understand what their bank wants. right? it can it cannot be unilateral. and and each bank's going to be different. On, on what they want and, and what their business model is, and it's okay to say, understand that your bank may not be the right bank because their goals are different than yours, and they might have served you a really good purpose and need, um, as you know so far, right? So, the conversations from should be about quarterly with your banker, and in that, and we do a lot of these compliance certificates with banks on our side, looking at hey, here's how our business performed so far, here's what we're lo- here's the decisions we're looking to do over the next six to nine months where does this line up and how do we position this to make sure that those upcoming opportunities and transactions are in line with what the bank wants and it shouldn't be we've said this before on on several podcasts yeah we're good when that opportunity comes up i'm with you I, i you know i i think that's um very commonly said in the market and i i think people when they go into that process you know depending on their growth strategy some people have good experiences Majority of our of our audience members and the calls we get are people that have had those conversations and now they have an opportunity for 750 or or two and a half million dollars and the bank saying hey well that's a little bit big for us or we can't make this deal work um, and you know our clients are left reacting to that uh, having to buy extensions on their lending you know on their letters of intent if they're doing a de novo or if they're doing an ac- acquisition and that really creates a very stressful environment. Um, for our you know our, our client, and also obviously for everyone involved, because now we're having to catch up from a lending relationship to try to suffice that opportunity. So, kind of relationship, quarterly meetings with your banker, uh, if they're not having that with you, candidly, uh, I, I think that's relationships that a very reactive relationship, and that should should be indicative of where that experience is going to be long term. Uh, but the good middle market institutions that we work with, are proactive in that relationship, want to work with the client on an active side and say, here's how your business performed last quarter, TTM. Here's where you want to go in the business. Um, and here's what we need from you. And here's how we can partner up and making sure we're the right partner for you. So I think that kind of dialogue ends up being very attractive because candidly you want, I think most majority of our audience members parent, want a lender that's with them every step of the way. And you know, is communicating to them what is and isn't working in in acquisition strategies, in strategies. So there's not a day that they wake up and say, "Well, you know, where did I miss my relationship with the bank?" So I think that should be a very forward thinking process and relationship
0: i want to I want to hit on um one uh phrase that you mentioned in the early part of your answer there that you kind of glossed through but it's it 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 ought to strike the audience and I want to make sure that I push this point home with them so for our audience um that uh it, it is experienced in acquisitions they've acquired uh several dental practices through the years or maybe recently uh and they're probably familiar with uh I don't know how chaotic a process that can be at times. You mentioned an extension on the LOI, <laughs> and I want to I want to push that point home to the audience members who've acquired practices uh, who seemingly had everything buttoned up and the diligence phase was progressing nicely, and then for some unknown reason they had been given verbal uh, assurance that. The funds were going to be there until they're not. And that is a really, really bad position to be in because you're operating on an assumption that can be the Achilles heel of your growth strategy. And if you're, if you're not working with the right lender that has agreed, to, uh, re- agreed in writing, to fund your growth strategy, and if you're not having those quarterly meetings uh, to uh, corroborate the financial performance of the business relative to the bank's expectations to, to continue that funding, now you have a tremendous jump ball in the air and you don't even know it. And Again, if we're taking this tact of building an enterprise platform um, and, and possibly growing the business from a couple of locations to eight to 10 to 15 to 20 locations, something along those lines, you absolutely have to have assurance that you have the funding in place and you can move quickly to close on the transaction to allow you to move quickly onto the next transaction. If you don't have that, you're playing the game at a solo level, and you really don't have um, the commitment in place um, or the the true assurance, other than verbally from from the relationship manager, and that's not where credit approval comes from. Okay, so this is this is a really key point in terms of evaluating that relationship. So let's let's come back and close the loop on all of this. We started out uh, talking about this concept of equity on balance sheet we hit on a little bit on multiples of ebitda we talked about leverage we've talked about lending to improve it let's talk about just as the maybe concluding thoughts here in today's episode to walker let's talk about really making an impact on the balance sheet all of us are entrepreneurs most of us are founders um and most of us do desire to build a more valuable company uh, in the long haul. Um, how do you want to put a bow on today's episode in terms of making that impact on the balance sheet for our audience?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think if, as you know, our audience members are thinking about de novo or acquisition strategies. Um, they, they need to really answer the question: their why, um, and their why could be could be different. One could be. Acquiring a target because it's a defensible position. Their why could be acquiring a target because uh, it's a nice little tuck-in, like a merger. And and those are unique uh, because they t- tend to, done effectively and correctly, can improve uh, a business's operations. Um, you know, that could be that they're buying the business because it provides some kind of operational leverage improvement internally uh, because they have infrastructure that supports it. I think the key question ends up being with all those whys or even in de novos, you know, you know, the acquisition strategy is not making sense. You know, everything else in the market is 6X to 8X. Um, it doesn't make sense. We're just going to go out and do a de novo. Any of those things, the, you know, start looking 12 to 18 months down the road, really 18 months probably the longer period of what is the outcome you want? If, what is the balance sheet? If you were to fill that personal financial statement 12 to 18 months from now, what are the outcomes you're looking for? You know, in your business, consolidated. I mean, personally, also, right? There should be a, a a check on work-life balance. All these things. But on a business side, if you were to say, "Okay, here's my revenue in 18 months. Here's my EBITDA. Here's what this acquisition or de novo should have done. What does that look like? Map it out. You know, put pen to paper, and then ask yourself. And then, more importantly, if you have an executive team, ask them the questions. Do I, can I execute? Number one, our principles need to be able to execute. Um, And then two, can my team execute and provide some margin of error, right? Uh, That, you know, because, you know, uh, things don't happen in an ideal world. So if they don't execute the way that they should, how do I become the stopgap to make sure the execution happens and still come to that outcome? I think, uh, uh, you know, looking 18 months down the road and saying, you know, that's our plan. And if it doesn't work out, we're still okay. That's okay, but you know, parent, we've seen a lot of large groups where they've created. They might have five, ten, thirty locations, and they have EBITDA, but they don't have the uh, overall equity and balance sheet because they have either bought aggressively, they haven't structured the deals correctly. Their de novo models are not getting the results that they want as far as top line, but more importantly, bottom line efficiency in the business. So I think. It's important to understand any decision you make, how does that impact your balance sheet? How does it impact overall culture? There's a lot of things we're not talking about, culture of the organization, uh, geography, placement, growth strategy. everything has to be interconnected. You know, and I know in our, our, our um, May event, we're going to talk about building equity and balance sheet. Um, and you know, we're starting to do a lot of our fractional business development role for a lot of our groups because you know a lot of our audience members are not going to have. A business development person. Um, those guys in the lower end are at 150,000, and you know the incomes for them can be in excess of 250 to 400,000. You know, as for the bigger, you know, strategic DSOs. So a lot of you know people are leveraging us, parent, to kind of help bridge the gap, right? Like our fractional COO service, where you know we act as their business development team. They're sourcing the deals. We're underwriting them, making sure it makes sense. And then obviously, if we have a bank partner, we're also making sure it's compliant with the bank partner that we've you know, lined up a client with. And so those groups that have the fractional business development aspect with us, the uh, fractional COO or capital raise process with us, you know, really benefit because they're getting full guidance behind the scenes on how to execute on their business and be methodical uh, as they grow the business.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is such a heady topic and, um, you know, I think it's really a great time to be a founder in a group or uh, a founder or one of the founders um, in a uh, group dental practice because there are established industry metrics in terms of valuation that you can fall back on. Um, it's different than like the business candidly that you and I are building I mean it's a really multifaceted uh consulting and m a advisory type of a, a business and you know people ask us well you're all ever gonna sell Polaris and
1: not anytime soon <laughs> um hey parent, but, you know, let me uh, correct you there Hilarious is for sale. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. for for all of the, for all the people
0: um, in the audience uh, that want to write a a, a nine figure check, it is for sale. That is totally right. Every um, day. <laughs> yes, and, and 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 to to put a bow on this episode, there's our equity on balance sheet, right? So, but but I think you know, for us, we're we're building a a, a different type of business that's not. Uh, in a in a healthcare vertical, like group dental practices are. And there it would be interesting to go through the thought exercise of how Polaris would value in the marketplace because it's it doesn't fit in a box necessarily. Whereas dentistry kind of does. And for those that are that are building group practices, you can fall back on industry norms as a, as a barometer, if you will, of success. Think about it like going through college or, or dental school or or any anything else and think about taking multiple tests uh, and quizzes over the course of um, that semester. And if you had a, a, a test every week or a quiz every week, and you had to turn in the quiz or the test, don't you want to get the test back and find out how you did? Because if you know how you did on last week's test, and you know how you did on this week's test, and you know that you have the final coming up in pretty short order, you know where you stand. You know what your grade, your average is. You also know that if you want to make an A in that class, and, and you're at a B level through all the tests you've taken up at this point, well, you better... You know, kick butt and take names on the final exam to get the A in the course. Well, why are you building a business where you're either not understanding of the metrics involved, not understanding of how to calculate this stuff, and not really cognizant of of the inherent value of the business that w- that you have presently? And if you execute on your growth strategy, where you're going to end up? I, what? Why would you not want to know that? I mean, it is. Absolutely critical. This is our report card. This is why we're, this is one of the components why we're building the businesses that we are, and I say the we, the audience as well as us. So I, I think, yeah, there's enough knowledge in the industry to be able to get your hands around this concept, and it's critically important to knowing where you stand. It's critically important to being able to evaluate the uh, health of your um, existing lending relationship, and obviously we want to have rock solid confidence about the growth strategy um, that we are uh, undertaking to build a business we all desire. And if you can do all that, you're gonna end up in a really, really good place and you're probably going to be rewarded at the outcome or the end of your journey, regardless of whatever your your outcome is. So, um, DeWalker, this was a, a fun episode. I really appreciate you joining me on the show today. And uh, I know our, our audience is better for it. Any uh, last minute concluding thoughts from you before we wrap it up?
1: Uh, no, I think you and us audience members are listening to the content we've been laying out the last uh, uh, six to eight weeks. I would encourage you know, to attend our seminar in Fort Lauderdale, I think it's going to address a lot of these things in detail and allow you to put pen to paper and evaluate your own businesses and what that means to you. So hands down would encourage, you know, we talked about the call center uh, consulting. I think that's going to be very meaningful to a lot of audience members. You talked about line of sight and reporting into understanding the economics of your business. And then, you know, obviously, we're now going to understand the equity and balance sheet and, and looking at business development and de novo strategies. So I think it's going to be a great um, um, introduction to a lot of our other uh, classes we offer, which is the master class series on de novos and uh, mergers and affiliations, where I think you're going to get a lot of initial introduction content here.
0: Good stuff yeah going to be exciting spring for us for sure and we get to uh flex and uh and create some new presentations and some content that we haven't done before too so if you come and join us in may chances are uh it's going to be a lot of new stuff that we uh we haven't presented yet and we're pretty thrilled about that also really thrilled to be in the space overall it's just a great time to be building a group practice and we get the the privilege and the pleasure of uh, working with so many uh, unbelievable entrepreneurs. So, DeWalker, thanks for joining me on the show today. Really appreciate everybody else being in the audience. Uh, stick around, I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Thank you, everybody, once again for joining us on the show today, and I really appreciate my partner DeWalker Sinhai joining me. He's always a wealth of information and a lot of fun, and takes some of the load off of me when we record these things, too. Frankly, so a couple, uh, two, two quick points to wrap up today's show. One, um, I'm not sure when this episode's going to be releasing. I should have checked that, but. Uh, We, um, as DeWalker teased, um, and we've recorded a couple episodes of this effect, we are hosting uh, a conference called Building Your Enterprise Platform in Fort Lauderdale, May 10th through 12th. Registration is live. Uh, That went out last week, um, which was uh, the week of February the 6th. Uh, It's on all social media, on our website, um, and we should have linked to it in a couple of show notes as well. So hopefully, you've seen that. If you're listening to this, Um, podcast episode. Hopefully you've seen the link to that. Um, it is gonna be a conference that'll be significantly different in terms of subject matter than any one we've ever done before. And a lot of this um, uh, we're building as um, as we speak. So hopefully you can join us. This is really about building a more valuable company and really taking it to the next level beyond three or four locations up to eight to 10 to 15 or more. Um, and it will be a, hopefully a pretty cool event. The other thing I would encourage you, um, to do for those who are not is subscribe to our news feed. since the beginning of 2023 these last six weeks uh we record a new podcast episode that drops every tuesday that's subject matter oriented like like the one you're listening to now and all of you who are subscribers of the show get that uh, usually automatically in your uh your podcast feed but The news feed that we will release on Friday will have a link to the podcast episode, of course. It also will have a link to a blog post we've written that week that will be a different subject than the podcast. And it will have a link to a video we've recorded that will be different from the subject matter of the blog or the podcast. So the nice thing is we're trying to give you more actionable content and we're trying to give it to you um, in multiple applications, be it audibly on the podcast, in written format on the blog, or visually in a presentation format on a video, uh, and this is really a, a way for us to um, leverage some of the content we built, but also uh, hopefully provide more value to our audience in a in a, a more varied type of a way. Um, and all of us learn slightly differently. So hopefully that will be of uh, a benefit to everyone. And if you um, uh, are not a subscriber to our newsfeed, we will link to that in the show notes as well. You can always link to it off of uh, the website. Um, And all you got to do is put in your uh, email address and it'll sweep you in there and you'll get it every uh, Friday. So great way to stay abreast of uh, everything that we're doing uh, at Polaris, but also a lot of the the subject matter that you all all seem to gravitate to and know and love. And if there is a topic that we haven't covered, um, feel free to drop me an email. I'll be happy to uh, make sure we get it in the rotation. Um, So all of us here at Polaris really appreciate um, you know, you being in the audience, being a listener, being a subscriber, following the show, the ratings that y'all give us all the time and the compliments, um, are, are seem to be never ending. And, and, really we value that. I know that I do, uh, sometimes believe it or not, recording this stuff is challenging. So, um, keep all the, uh, comments coming in. You can always reach me at Perrin at Polaris healthcare partners.com. Thank you so much for being a listener and a subscriber